Amen. Let it be so, Lord. If you have a Bible, open up with me to the book of Genesis. We'll be reading this morning just a few verses from Genesis chapter 25, even though the text that the sermon will be based on will be a little longer than that, 23.1 through 25.18. We'll be reading this morning uh, chapter 25, verses 7 through 11. As you're opening there, I, I do want to say what a joy it is to be back with you and to be preaching again uh, this Sunday. Thank you to Woody for preaching for me, uh, surrounding a doctoral seminar earlier this month. And that was a, it's been a huge blessing for me, my final assignment for that class. Uh, not for the whole degree, but for that class is due tomorrow, so I'll be finishing that up. And, uh, but just to have that time away uh, from studying to preach was beneficial for me to study class and to make sure that I'm doing all that I need to do to not just to pass but to learn all that I hope to learn during this season and of course thank you to Craig Carlisle uh, for standing in last Sunday with just a few hours notice and uh, that guy can write quick and so he he got that sermon scribbled out and uh, just really shucked the corn for us uh, there afterward and so thank you all so much uh, for um, your kindness to me and in, in allowing me time away. And then last week, uh, it wasn't much we could do about that, but uh, even some pastors, and y'all might struggle to believe this, but even some pastors get grief when they're out sick and things like that, you know? And uh, um, anyway, I, I, don't live, I don't have to live like that. And I praise God uh, for all of you and your love and, and care for myself and my family. Genesis chapter 25, verses 7 through 11. If you're open up there, why don't we go ahead and just all stand together out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way as the words on this page being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning of verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave at Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittite. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Birlehi Roy. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, I ask you even now to open our hearts and minds in order that we might receive your word, Father, and I pray we would indeed be blessed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let me ask you all a question. Who in this room, and you can raise your hand, who in this room has ever been a flower girl? Any flower girls in the house? Oh, there's one back there. Any flower? Oh, here's a flower girl. Oh, there's a flower girl right there. All right. Another question. Who in this room has ever been a ring bearer? Oh, we got one back here. We got one right here. We got some ring bearers. We got some flower girls in the house. My little sister got married. Ford was a ring bearer. Uh, but he told us he didn't want to be a ring bearer. He wanted to be a ring alligator. <laughs> awesome. 
I was a ring bear. You know, I think if in the last 12 months of our lives, 11, 10, 11, 12 months of our lives, if we haven't learned anything else, we've learned that we should have been more thankful for weddings. In fact, we should have been more thankful. We, we didn't know how thankful we should be for weddings and for funerals. There, there are two things that we tend to take for granted. But the sweetness that we see in a wedding, this kind of mini reunion of, a, of community, of family, of friends, and the closure we find even in a funeral. Sometimes the only family reunions we have are ones that surround, unfortunately, death. These things have been so hard to come by, and even when we do experience them, they've been so different than what we're accustomed to. But I think we all recognize and see, we, everybody in the room at some point or another, and I hate to tell you this, but you'll see pictures of you when you were a flower girl or a ring bearer, and you're going to think, what in the world was Aunt So-and-so thinking? They put me in that outfit. We look back on these moments in our lives, and if you think about it, they're really the seams in the, in the fabric of our lives. We all have memories that are attached to weddings and funerals throughout our lives. They're, they're, they're touchstones that remind us of times and places, of seasons and loved ones. In so many ways, when we look back at our memories and consider our lives, those are things that just are simply there. We don't necessarily think about them a lot. We don't think through why they're there or how they happen or why they've happened necessarily always, but they're there. Here in these chapters, uh, we're going to examine the way that Abraham and his family are demonstrating faith in the midst of these everyday realities. Just the simple fiber of the fabric of life. Just the simple things that we tend to take for granted. The simple things that we tend to look over. Weddings and funerals. Just everyday, simple, normal life occurrences. We're going to look and see the way that Abraham and his family are orienting the way they handle these things. According to the belief and the promises of God. They are indeed standing as children of the promise and fixing their hearts on their soul's reward. I want you also, as you look to Abraham and you look to his family and the ways that they're demonstrating and showing their faith in these situations, I want you yourself to consider the ways in which God's promises impact your life. The promises of God which find their yes and amen in Christ whom we treasure in our hearts. How do they impact your life? Not just when you're at church and not just when you're doing Christian-y things, but just in the warp and woof and the ebb and flow, the fabric of your life, how are you clinging to the promises of God? How can we live, I ask you today, according to God's promises? Three truths, three truths that will help you evaluate and apply that thought this morning. Here's the first. Remember God's promises and trials. I, I, I want you to remember God's promises and trials. Chapter 23 of Genesis tells us about the death of Sarah. Abraham's wife. It makes plain early in the chapter that Sarah passed away. And Abraham mourned her. And, and even in his preparations for her death, 
or in the wake of her death. He lived according to God's promises. Notice, notice with me in verse 4 what Abraham says to the Hittites there in Hebron in Canaan where she died. Verse, verse 4, notice what Abraham says. I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. What ensues to us is sort of a strange kind of thing. In fact, as you read this text, and I want to remind you each week when you get your bulletin, if you could try to read the text, it will help you. Uh, to understand the sermon. But as you read this text, as you read chapter 23, I I think we read it and think, what a weird, seemingly sort of passive-aggressive scene we've got on our hands here. Abraham seems to be the only person who continually is shooting straight in the passage. But it seems at first glance then, like the Hittites keep wanting to say, and, and Ephron the Hittite in particular keeps wanting to say, just take the land. Just, just have, have the cave. I want you to just have the cave uh, and, and it's yours. Don't worry about it. what's that between guys like us. But I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it, it's really more sort of like the episode of Seinfeld called The Pen. If you guys have seen this or not. Jerry visits his parents and one of his, friends keep, one of his parents' friends keeps saying, take the pen. T- just take the pen. Come on, just, just take the pen. And by the end of the episode, he, ta- he takes the pen by the time the episode's over, a scandal has broken out at Del Boca Vista Number 2, where his parents live, because he took the pen. Well, in other words, what was the guy doing? He was offering him the pen, and we've all, ha- we've all been in these situations, right? Why don't you take it? No, no, no. It would be my pleasure if you would just take it. Why, why don't you just take it? But in reality, they don't want you to take it. They just want to appear polite. This seems to be the way that ancient Near Eastern land tra- transactions happen. Uh, based on the documents surrounding uh, Abraham's life in the similar sort of situations, this is really similar to the sort of language that was often used in the way deals were done. In other words, people were beating around the bush. So Abraham offers to buy the cat. And they say, no, 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 just take it. And he, he refuses Doing business the way business was done, he explicitly mentions again wanting to pay full price for the cave. And again, Ephron, again, he tries to give Abraham the cave. But this time, he doesn't just want to give him the cave. He says, well, if you're going to buy the cave, or if I'm going to give you the cave, I might as well give you the field surrounding it. Abraham didn't really ask for the field, but now it's part of the deal, right? If you want the cave, you get the field. And again, Abraham says, I want to pay for it. Finally, Ephraim says, what's, uh, what's 400 shekels between men like us? Just take the field and the cave. Finally, Abraham had the full price, and Abraham paid the full price. Once again, it seems like a game to us. Most scholars agree that that amount of money was not cheap. That he, he, he was not a cheap amount. But, but do you see what Moses is doing? As Abraham purchases this field, Moses is again demonstrating and showing us and, and, and helping us see the fact that now Abraham owns land, right? 
Abraham owns land that God had promised to him and his descendants. And Abraham's wife will be buried in land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. Now, it's a little bit humiliating, isn't it? To have to buy land that God says belongs to you. And yet at the same time, this is another way that the author Moses is demonstrating to us, showing us the way that no king... And no Hittite blessed Abraham with the things that Abraham has. God and God alone is the one who blesses Abraham. Nobody could say that they gave Abram the cave. Nobody could say that they gave Abram the land. Nobody could say that if it weren't for the Hittites, Abraham would be nothing. No, only God and God alone can get the credit for Abraham's blessing. And thus we see this picture of the way that Abraham leaves the scene and he, he goes to mourn his wife and bury his wife with his integrity intact and with a place to bury Sarah. Now surely at this moment you're wondering what in the world picking out funeral plots has to do with living life according to God's promises. I think we all recognize and have seen loved ones or family members or whatever tell us the details of going to pick out funeral plots and we're always riveted by the story, aren't we? Well, Mom and Dad, thank you for telling me. I'm so glad to know that that's what you've done. And yet here we see this highlight of this seemingly mundane detail where we see all the effort that Abraham goes to and the land that he now rightfully owns in Canaan. And we see that we're being told something about how Abraham sees God's promises. Sarah has passed and Abraham is old, but he is buying a piece of land that God has promised him. And even though he is still living in a tent, even though he is still waiting on the fulfillment of God's promises, even though Sarah died without even having seen Isaac married, nonetheless, Abraham is clinging to God's promises in hope. His wife has passed. He's mourning. Things are difficult. And yet his heart and his mind and his actions are immediately going to the promises of God. He knows that God has made a promise and he's living as if that is true. And today, brothers and sisters, I ask you this simple question. In your trials, in your difficulties, in your mourning, in your situations, are you remembering God's promises? Are are, are you living as if God's promises are true, even in death? And my, my friends, we've seen enough of it, haven't we? Even in death, are you remembering that death does not have the last word? Are you remembering the promises that God has given you in Christ? It's my hope and it's my prayer that we will trust and believe in God's promises even in our trials. But second of all, I hope and pray that you will trust in God's providential care. Trust in God's providential care care. The scene changes. It changes from a funeral to a wedding. And and the preparations made for Isaac to have a wife. It's interesting then the way the narrative flows here. You see the way that Moses is moving the focus from Sarah and Abraham to Isaac and Rebekah. 
You, you see the way that God's promises are standing even beyond death, even as people who are major players in what God is doing pass from the scene. The Lord is then putting Rebecca on the scene in ways that we can't even imagine. And, 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 and I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to go read chapter 24 this afternoon. I'll give you the rundown of the story. It works like this. Chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, the story's set up. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear before the Lord, by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. This prohibition of, of Isaac taking a Canaanite wife is a way that, again, Abraham's heart is foreshadowing the law. He's obeying God in ways that God hasn't even revealed yet. And over and over in Genesis, you see these pictures of the way that Abraham is foreshadowing the law of God through his actions. He says, but instead, I want you to go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. And so while promising Abraham, as Abraham requests him to do also, that he would not take Isaac back. Once again, Abraham is trusting God's promises and saying, don't take my son back. This is our land. This is our place. Abraham's servant promises and swears, and he goes to find Isaac a wife in the land of Abraham's family. We see this simple prayer that he prays when he gets to Nahor. It's really so simple what he asks the Lord to do. Verses 12 through 14. He said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Now, think about this. Think about what's being said. He, he, before he could even say amen, but, but before he could even finish the prayer, the Bible says, a woman comes to the well. He's filled with suspense, wondering if this could be the woman. We're filled with suspense as we read it. Could this be the woman? We're, we're filled with all sorts of suspense. And this is the Bible, but there's still practical concerns to attend to. For one, she's not married. That's important. She's the right age. She's beautiful. People don't just suddenly stop caring about that because we're in the Bible. She, 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 she fits the bill. She fills her jar with water. Just imagine the suspense. He asks her for water. Drink, my Lord, she says. Do you feel the tension? Do, do, do you feel the wondering? Do you, do you feel how, how, how curious one might be whether or not this is the woman whom God has appointed? I will draw water for your camels also, she says, until they have finished drinking. There in that moment, it becomes clear that the servant has fulfilled his mission, at least in finding the right woman. Now it's up to God to finish out 
the details. And so he adorns her with presents and they go back to her house and she has a brother there. You might recognize the name Laban. He'll come up later. There's a little foreshadowing of Laban. The first thing Laban notices are all the gifts that she has. The Bible says, foreshadowing what kind of man Laban is. Her family hears the story. Her family gives permission for her to go. And Rebekah went home to marry Isaac in order that God's promises to Abraham might stand. I want you to see even just the beautiful providence that we see in her arrival at home. A family still in mourning. A a family still sad over the loss of its matriarch. And then the Lord in His providence arranges such a beautiful sight, beginning of verse 61 of chapter 24. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Birlehi Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Do you see? Do you see the way that God and His kind providence, the way He guided these seemingly mundane details? You see, God had promised Abraham land. He had promised him a promised land, a place where Abraham would be his people and his people would be God's people. And he promised them that they would be in a land that God had given them. And we see the way that as Abraham is preparing to exit the scene, we see the way that God has already highlighted the promise of the land. And yet here we see the way that God is highlighting in the text of Scripture the promise of descendants. Do you see the way that God providentially guided these seemingly mundane details? My friends, you can trust God to do what is best in your life. The Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And so often we're standing on the precipice of what we wish God would do and we're wondering, we're, we're, we're believing that God will do what he said he would do, but we're wondering how in the world is God going to do it? But do you see the way that for so long, I mean, my friends, we have 60 Seven verses of Scripture describing the way that God in His providence brought, brought things together and plans together. These trips, you know, these, these trips, they weren't short trips. These were long trips. And it just so happened that when the servant arrives, Rebecca arrives at exactly the same time. God is providentially in control. God is leading his people in these ways. And my friends, you can trust God to lead you. 
God is at work according to his providence to guide you and to provide for you in ways that right now you might not even be able to imagine. Ways that are overwhelming. And yet, can you not look back in your life and see the way that in small details, God has been at work all along? And so if God was good to Abraham, and God was good to Sarah, and God was good to Isaac, and God was good to Abraham's servant, and God was good to Rebekah, and God was in control of all the details of their lives, and you look back and you see the way that God has been in, in, at work and all the details in your life, why wouldn't you trust Him today? Why wouldn't you trust Him today? Why can't you hand that worry to the Lord? Why, why, why can't you hand over that which you cling so closely to? Over to God. He is in control. Finally, finally, not only ought we to trust the Lord in the details of our life, everyday faithfulness, not only do we need to trust God's providence, His providential care and guidance, but finally, I want to encourage you today to desire a better country. Desire a better country. Some of us here today might feel a little strange when we realize that Abraham has died. I mean, here, Abraham's dying. Chapter 25. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last, and he died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people and he got put in the same cave there with Sarah that he had bought from the Canaanites. And you might say, okay, I mean, he, he died. What, what is there to make of it? But some of you might have started to kind of feel the rub here. God promised Abraham a lot, didn't he? I mean, God made a lot of promises to Abraham. Big, not little promises, big promises. You know, that's what I hate about the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It just stops too short. God has promised us so much more than what any sort of TV preacher huckster can promise you. Don't settle for cars and money and health in this life. God has promised his people everything, everything. God's promises are big. Don't settle for little tiny promises that can only be fulfilled in this life. But God promised Abraham a lot. I will make you a great nation. To your offspring, I will give this land. I will make your offspring like sand and stars in number. Now, let's not say Abraham had more offspring than just Isaac and Ishmael. You see that highlighted here in chapter 25. It's not to say that there's no potential for Abraham to become a great nation. It's not to say these things might not happen. But if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, man, I really thought I'd see more of this before I die. And some of you may feel the same way. Abraham died, the Bible tells us, not having received the things promised, but having greeted them from afar. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, that is, Abraham and his family, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were what? strangers and exiles on the earth. That's exactly how Abraham introduced himself to the Hittites, isn't it? 
I'm a stranger and an exile among you. And the author of Hebrews makes some hay out of Abraham saying that. He says, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But what did Abraham say? He said, Do not take Isaac back there. They didn't want to go back to the other land, but they're looking for a country. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Don't you see Abraham's faith? Don't you see the way that Abraham trusted God? So often as a pastor, I get this question, how, how did saints, and the, how, were, how were Old Testament believers saved? Were they saved by works? Abraham wasn't saved by works. Abraham was saved by faith. So they said, well, how then do they put faith in Christ? Well, obviously they didn't know that Jesus of Nazareth would be born and be the Son of God and all those things. They longed to know those things, but didn't understand that. But you know what they did? They trusted God's promises. Abraham lived as if God's promises were true. They trust God's promises that ultimately are fulfilled in Christ. Abraham didn't know. He didn't have knowledge, knowing precisely how and certainly not when all these promises would be answered. But he was content to die living in a tent in order that he might live in a city whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was, was willing to live in reproach in this life in so many ways. As Moses considered the reproach of Christ, the Bible says, greater than the treasures of Egypt. Abraham was willing to live in humility and humiliation in this life because he believed God kept his promises and that his promises last beyond the grave. I ask you today, are you a little too comfortable here? Are you a little too comfortable in this world? Are you a little too satisfied with the things that this world provides? Or are you willing to live desiring a better country? Desiring the land that is fairer than day. Knowing that though you have God's promises treasured in your hearts, they've not been fully realized until the Lord Jesus makes all things new and all things right. Are you willing to walk that same path, to trudge that same path that Abraham walked, knowing that you live this life in humility in order that you gain glory in the life to come? Are you willing to do that? A grave plot in Canaan and a wedding for Isaac show small little kernels, little seeds of future glory which God was working in the life of Abraham and that would one day come fully in fruition to his seed who is his descendant who also happens to be the very son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Abraham, when he is trusting God's promises, when he is walking by faith, when he is standing knowing that God has made promises to him, his faith is ultimately a faith of Christ. His faith faith is in the true seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. His faith is in the true son of Abraham, his own true son, who would bring descendants into the fold greater than the number of the stars into the family of God. He was trusting 
that God through Christ one day would bring the new Jerusalem down out of heaven, transforming the entire world so that all the world is God's place. Abraham is trusting that God will keep his promises and God did more than we could ever ask or imagine through Christ. He was trusting that God would keep his promises no matter what even when his people were unfaithful. And I like to think that on his way to the grave in those last and waning days, Abraham would sometimes at night maybe wake up in a start or see the stars in a certain way and remember that night when he met with the Lord and the Lord told him to prepare a sacrifice and to cleave those animals in two. And he saw the very presence of God, this golden, golden censer moving through the carcasses, that night that God promised him these things, that God reminded him, that God covenanted with him. And certainly Abraham couldn't have known how badly and how poorly his descendants would keep their end of the deal. Uh, Certainly he wouldn't have known or imagined how far from the Lord his descendants would one day stray. And yet Abraham was trusting that God would keep his promises no matter what, even when he or even when God's people were unfaithful. And yet God raised up another descendant of Abraham, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he was faithful all the way to the cross. He was cleft by God, much like those animals were in his spirit. He was broken by death in his body. He, he received the punishment that we deserve. God himself received the punishment that we deserve for our sins, that Abraham deserved for his sins. And when Abraham was trusting God's promises, he was trusting a Christ who though he was broken in his body, at the cross was raised in glory on the third day as a guarantee of the fact. And brothers and sisters, you can take it to the bank. God keeps His promises. When we are unfaithful, God is faithful for He cannot deny Himself. I want you to respond to the Lord today. And while the altar isn't open as it normally would be, the Lord Jesus Christ's arms are always open. You can do business with the Lord right where you are just as easily as you can anywhere else. And this morning, you may have never put your trust in Jesus. I hope and pray that you would put your faith in Him who was broken and bloodied, shed His blood for your sin. Forgiveness is offered to you today freely through Jesus Christ, if you would turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith. And second of all, you may be a believer and you may just need some time to spend with the Lord. You take this time to do just that. And finally, after the service is over today, I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a Christian. I mean, to be a member of this church. If you have questions about membership at First Baptist, I'd love to talk to you today. After this prayer, I want you to do business with the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather and to worship today. And Lord, I pray that you would work among your people even now. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.